Hello and welcome to another episode of Chilling with Charlie. Today I have with me Aaron Schatz, who you might know from Football Outsiders fame, or you might know from some of his columns from ESPN. Either way, he has influenced a lot of ways that people currently think about football. So thank you for coming on the podcast today, Aaron. Running a podcast costs money. Chilling with Charlie is proudly sponsored by Betfair Australia. Betfair operates a betting exchange and is licensed in the Northern Territory of Australia. They are not a bookmaker and you can see how they champion data modelling by checking out bit.ly forward slash betfaircharlie, gamble responsibly. Thank you, Aaron, for taking the time out to join me today on Chilling with Charlie. To begin things off with, why don't you just tell us a bit about your background and how Football Outsiders came about? Okay, sure. My background is sort of very interesting for a football stats guy in that it's not really in stats at all. I have an economics degree from Brown University, and then I became a radio disc jockey. I did that for a little while, and then I was out of that, and I did some music journalism, and I was working in market research for a little while, and then I was working in the internet industry, and I was basically just a football fan who had questions about the game that nobody was really talking about. This is back in 2002. That's when I first started doing football analytics a long time ago at this point. But, you know, I had always been a fan of Bill James and baseball analytics, and nobody was really doing that for football at the time. There was a book that was done in 1997 called Hidden Game of Football, but there really was nobody, you know, regularly doing football analytics with like an active website. So I started to do some stuff and I took every play in the NFL from 2002 and I cut and pasted it into Excel and started doing some analytics on it and started writing some articles. And eventually we launched our own website and then I got out there and was a bit of a media whore and tried to get as much attention as possible. And it just so happens that I started Football Outsiders around the same time that Michael Lewis wrote the book Moneyball. So the timing was very fortuitous for me because people went out there looking for the Moneyball of blank, fill in the sport here. And we were really the main site doing football analytics. There were a couple of sites that were much more focused on gambling or on fantasy football, but we were the brand new site that was doing analytics on the actual you know, game of football on the field. And so that's what really got me a lot of the original attention. We launched the site in July of 2003, and I got laid off from my other job in February of 2004. And then gradually this became my job and I've been doing Football Outsiders ever since. So within economics, what were sort of your interests? Probably more macroeconomics, government policy, but my real interest in college was radio. I spent a lot of time at the campus radio station. I did a few months of the morning show where I woke up every morning and got on the air at 5.30 Brown has had a very large radio station that was essentially a commercial radio station run by college students. So I had a lot of experience in the radio business when I graduated. That was, in many ways, that was really what I majored in. 
But in, in some ways, part of what interested me about the radio business was the analytical part of it. I was music director at WKRO in Daytona Beach, Florida after graduation. And I was really interested in call-out research that we did for what songs people liked and trying to do analysis on, on how you should deal with your gold songs, your old, you know, those are the old songs that you play and your currents and how long you should play currents. And there's actually a lot of analytics around that. And that was sort of a lot of where my interest in analytics came from was sort of analytics of the radio business. Do you think your time in radio has helped with your communication for like football outsiders? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no question that there's an advantage to having the radio background and media experience when it comes to knowing how to explain the advanced statistics in a way that gets across to average listeners. I don't think I come off as a stats nerd and I can you know, make pop culture references that make everything sort of more applicable to people's natural understanding of football. I think it's been a, a big positive for me. So you just started Football Outsiders. So where are you getting all your ideas from when you were just starting out? You know, most of my ideas were developed from the stuff that was in the hidden game of football or sort of coming up with football. I'm trying to take ideas of baseball analytics and extrapolating them to football or in some cases, basketball analytics, like the idea of pace, that it mattered how many plays a team ran kind of came from reading John Hollinger's basketball work back in the day. And so you would end up with a team like uh, the New York Jets of, I think 2004 is the year that I'm going to use as an example. Hopefully I'm remembering the correct season here. But they ended up having a very efficient offense and an inefficient defense. But the offense, by standard stats, it looked like they had a bad offense and a good defense because they had a really slow pace, which meant they ran fewer plays but teams ran fewer plays against them. So they gave up fewer yards and gained fewer yards. So it looked like their defense was better than their offense. But when you looked at performance per play, it was actually the other way around. And so that sort of brought the idea of pace in that came from basketball teams that ran at very different paces. So you're most well known for DVOA. How did that come about? Well, it starts with an idea from Hidden Game of Football, which was this idea of success points, which was that you would uh, give a play success based on whether it got a certain percentage of yards on the down and distance. We use a slightly different percentage now than they used in Hidden Game, but we, we call a play success if it's 45% of the yards on first down, 60% on second down, or 100% on third or fourth down. People are used to now seeing success rate all over the place in football analytics, but 16 years ago, when I started Football Outsiders, nobody was using success rate. We were the first people to really use it publicly. So from that, they extrapolated that to this idea of success points, which was that you would give one point for a success, and then two points for getting 80% of the needed yards, and three points for getting a first down, and four points for getting a 20-yard play, etc., so I tweaked that and turned it into more of a curve than a stepladder and started to score players and teams based on success points. But when I did that in 2002, I ended up with Mike Allstott of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as the most valuable running back in the league. And that seemed crazy to me until I realized that the reason why he came out as so valuable was that he tended to get the ball in situations where you were likely to get a lot of value. 
right? He only ran the ball in third, short, and goal line situations. So when he had success, it was worth a lot of success points. So then I said, oh, okay. What we really need to do is adjust this where we compare the success points that a player gets to what an average player would get in the same down and distance situation. And that's where the idea of VOA came from, value over average. And then it was like, oh, but each team plays a different schedule. What happens when we adjust for the strength of schedule? And that's where we got DVOA, which originally stood for defense adjusted value over average. But as I you know, came to use it all the time, it came to just mean any opponent adjusted metric of value over average, whether it was for defense or offense. And how much has DVOA evolved from when you first released it on Football Outsiders to now? I haven't done a reload of it, you know, like a new iteration of it in the last few years. But I really I need to dedicate one of these off seasons to doing an update. But it has, for example, we added adjustments for teams running out the clock late in games. We added adjustments for being indoors as opposed to outdoors. We added adjustments for to take away a little bit of the value of garbage time when teams have big leads in the fourth quarter. It originally didn't have special teams. <laughs> I added special teams midway through our first season, midway to, through 2003, and then that's been adjusted a few times since then. So it's definitely been adjusted a few times. It probably needs another sort of overhaul. The problem is I'm so busy with other things that I do in the offseason now that it's like I don't, I haven't, I've never had the time to do the full overhaul. But we're working on, on automating it more significantly than we, than we do right now. And once we automate it, it'll be a lot easier to do an overhaul of it as well. So when you talk about an overhaul, what does that mean? Uh, we want to test whether there's a better way for us to adjust for quote-unquote garbage time and just how much we should adjust for garbage time. We want to see if there's a way to do better weather adjustments. I've never been able to incorporate a straight-out home-and-away adjustment in there. I'd like to do that. And then just, you know, the game has changed since I created DVOA, right? It's much more offensively forward right now. So are there ways for us to change the baselines and how we measure things in order to make it more accurate? to make it more predictive of the future. So, I mean, there's we're always working to make things better. So as you've been running DVOA, what's something that has surprised you about it? So has a team popped up where you thought they might not have or something like that? Well, it's usually in single games that we tend to get surprising results. Usually when, when you look at the numbers for a team over a whole season, they make a lot of logical sense. When you look at like how many yards per play a team gains and wh where their turnovers are and where they're getting luck and everything. But in the single game, sometimes there can be results that are sort of surprising because a team does particularly well on third down or because they're particularly strong. They're particularly lucky or sometimes like the numbers that will split out for a single game will be surprising to me. But usually over the course of a whole season, it evens out. Apart from DVOA, what's something that you've worked on for Football Outsiders that has changed your way of thinking about the game? I mean, I think one of the biggest things that we've done from pretty early on was just the fact that defense is less consistent than offense. I mean, we were really the first people to write about that. And that changes the way you look at the game because it doesn't make sense to build teams around defense because defense is much harder to predict. It's in some ways, defense is more dependent on offense, on the opposition, than offense is on the defensive opposition. In, in fact, that's 
something that we might be able to hopefully adjust in the next version of DVOA is maybe not making the opponent adjustments the same for offense as they are for defense. But I think the fact that offense is more important than defense is a, a really important thing to know when you're building a football team because you need to concentrate on the side of the ball that's more predictable because your defense is going to vary and you can spend less on defense and luck into a good one, or you can spend a lot on defense and have bad luck and get a bad one. So I guess analytically or the numbers sort of say that defenses are less predictable than offenses. Like as a football fan, why do you think that is? I think that, first of all, there's a question of how much of that inconsistency exists in the middle of the season versus how much exists from season to season, right? We know there's a lot of inconsistency from season to season. I know some people have done some work recently with expected points added, suggesting that there's a similar amount of inconsistency even when it comes to in-season. But with DVOA, it seems like DVOA shows more consistency than the EPA models do when it comes to in-season. So then looking at at why defenses are more unpredictable than offenses, I think that offenses – look, Brian Burke from ESPN, the way he put it is that in some ways, football is a combination of an individual sport with a team sport because the quarterback has so much power over what happens with the offense. And I think that that is the biggest reason why offense is more consistent. It's just that the quarterback has more control over what happens on the field than any other player, including any of the defensive players. And that leads to much more consistency on the offensive side of the ball than on the defensive side of the ball. I think, for example, that there's plenty of evidence that the quarterback has more power over interceptions than the defense does then in some ways your defense, your interception totals are powered by the quarterbacks that you faced more than by your defense's actual ability. And since interceptions and fumble recoveries, fumble recoveries also are, are very random. Since that impacts defense so heavily, but they're kind of random, th- th- there's going to be a lot of, of inconsistency there. Has writing about football from an analytical point of view and doing football outsiders, writing for ESPN, Edge, Has that increased your love of football or has it sort of taken it away a bit? Oh, no. I mean, I I would say increased my love. I watch more football now than ever I've ever watched in the past. And my time and ability to watch other sports has really dwindled. I don't watch anywhere near as much baseball and basketball as I used to. So I don't think it's taken away from my love of football at all. If anything, it's grown. So what team do you support? I'm a Patriots fan. How did that come about? Because I live in New England. When I lived in Florida in 96 and 97, I used to go to a sports bar down there and hang out with other Patriots fans in order to sort of help my homesickness. And that's when I really became a hardcore fan because they made the Super Bowl that year while I was living down there. And ever since then, I've been a pretty hardcore fan. I needed to watch all the games. And in some ways, Football Outsiders came about because The questions that I had about the game were related to the Patriots in 2002 and why they didn't make the playoffs after they had won the Super Bowl the year before. Little did I realize when I started doing this that they would then make the playoffs pretty much every other year (laughs) that I did this. How do you think Sané will fit in the new trade? It's interesting because he does a lot of the same things as Julian Edelman. And you're like, do you need two of that same player? But they had two of that same player when they had Danny Amendola. So they kind of know how to fit two of those players in together. I still think that you need to have players who stretch the field. The thing about when they had Amendola and Edelman to be the short 
range guys with you know all that agility and short space was that they had Gronk to stretch the field from the tight end position, and now they don't have that. So they better get Josh Gordon healthy because you do need to stretch the field so that those underneath guys can work. Have you seen the NFL's being dartable? Yeah. So what would be an interesting question to answer from that data set, do you think? Oh, I mean, there's so many things. I think trying to figure out ways to measure safeties would be a big plus. I mean, it's the safety is the most difficult position to figure out, either from a scouting or from a stats perspective, because it's really helpful to know what the responsibility of the player is on the play to figure out whether they've done the right thing. Like you'll end up with safeties where if you try to measure players by the average depth of their tackles, like that can be useful for defensive linemen, but for safeties, it just shows them cleaning up after everybody else's mess. I think that what they're doing this year with trying to predict running plays is really valuable. I think more looking more at double teams would be of value. I think looking more at, you know, we know that play action works better than other passes. But if there was a way to figure out when do teams defend play action well and and how do they do that? Like, what do they do that makes them defend that well, right? Because in some ways, play action is sort of the secret code to improving your passing game, which means you need to have a defense that counters it. Well, maybe exploring how to build that defense would be an interesting question. So I talked to, I guess, one of your colleagues, Frank, before, and he was saying you have some quite passionate views on running and passing the football. So what are they and how did they come about? Well, I mean, they came about from just looking at the efficiency of the passing game versus the running game. But, I mean, passing the ball is much more efficient than running the ball. This goes back to the first things that I was doing back in 2003. Passing the ball is more efficient than running the ball. Teams run too much in the NFL. They need to pass more. I mean, they don't need to pass 100% of the time. The funny thing is, in the situations where running is more efficient than passing, teams pass too much. (laughs) In third and short and fourth and short, teams should be running more and passing less. But in general, teams need to be passing more. And when people complain about teams being too pass-heavy, they're usually wrong. Usually those teams are not even pass-heavy enough. So when you say pass-heavy enough, so you have sort of like, this idea of rough figure that it should be? No, I don't, because honestly, I don't think we know what the correct ratio of pass to run will be until we actually see it put in place, because at a certain point, it will be too much. But we don't know when too much will be because we haven't seen what happens when defenses react to too much. So, you know, I'd start with maybe 70-30, but I think that it might be even more pass heavy than that. What do you think are the main things holding back a team from passing it as much as they should? Old school thinking. I think that in some ways teams are wedded to things that they've learned throughout their entire lives of playing football and pass run ratios. The effectiveness of the run changes as you go down in level, right? In the football level. The lower down you go in football levels, the more the run is effective compared to the pass. Like when you go from the NFL to Division One to Division Two to Division Three to high school, right? In high school, one running back can just take over a game in a way you absolutely can't in the NFL. But, you know, people have been playing and dealing with football their whole lives. They played high school. They played college. Maybe they coached in college. So they're wedded to that idea of the run 
and they're wedded to the sort of historical idea of establishing the run, of keeping run-pass balance. And I think that that keeps them from passing as much as they should. In some ways, look, people think of negatives too much and they don't think of positives. The classic line is that when you pass the ball, three things can happen and two of them are bad, right? The idea is when you pass the ball, you can either have an interception or an incomplete and those are bad and a complete pass is the only good thing that can happen. Okay, sure, but those complete passes gain a lot more yards than the average run does. Right. I mean, the average pass gains whatever, seven yards, six and a half yards. The average run gains four, four and a half. There's no question that passing is more efficient. What about sometimes people will say you got to run the ball to set up the passing game? I mean, there's no evidence that that's true. None. How does that feeling come about just because it's typically just how NFL people have done it? Yep. Teams are just, that's just how we've done things in the past. And that's what people have said and anecdotes. People will have anecdotal examples of why that's true without looking at everything, without looking at every team. But there's no connection between a team's passing game and a run. If anything, it's the other way around. If anything, it's that the pass sets up the run. Because by passing well and by spreading teams out, by using spread formations, you open up space for your running backs to carry the ball and gain more yardage. Right. There's been a lot of research done in the last couple of years about formation and personnel and how that affects running the ball. And so, if anything, it's the pass that sets up the run, not the other way around. So, apart from running versus passing, which should be changed a bit, what's something else that's commonly done in the game that you think should be changed? Well, I mean, you know, going for it on fourth down is the dead horse that we've killed and whipped to shreds so many times over the last 16 years that the horse is barely recognizable at this point. But I have to say, fourth down (laughs) decision-making, because we have to whip the horse some more. (laughs) So why is that? So teams still aren't aggressive enough on fourth down decisions? Oh, the average team leaves at least one win on the table every year through bad fourth down decision-making. Frank is the expert on that, but Oh, yeah. Teams leave. It's kind of crazy how much they leave on the table as far as bad fourth down decision making. And what would be the next decision apart from fourth down decision making? I mean, teams are already starting to move in sort of the idea of away from the running game in terms of how they spend draft picks and how they spend their salary cap and draft capital. So, I mean, it's hard for me to say that's a really big thing that teams need to do because teams are already starting to do it. If there's anything that analytics has really affected in the NFL in the 16 years since I started doing Football Outsiders, it's the pay scale for running backs or run-stopping defensive tackles as opposed to pass players. So that's sort of already in process. What are your favorite public metrics or public websites for NFL that you sort of go on to? Well, the best public website, the best public service is Pro Football Reference because it's so easy to find stats from the past and from this year. And I mean, listen, the fact is that it's cool now also that they have the NFL Scrape R package. It made me makes me wish I was a programmer that I could actually work with it. I mean, the fact is, this is my dirty little secret. That's not a secret, but I am a writer first and foremost. I'm not a programmer. I'm not a statistician. I'm a writer who just happens to use stats. It just happens that I thought about this stuff when no one else was. But having that package available free has just led to a phenomenal amount of good work by people publicly. But I think between Pro Football Reference and the NFL Scrape Bar package, there's just so much freely out there to do analytics with. It's fantastic. 
What do you think's the next public question to be answered from people like you? So people who started out with a website, that sort of thing with regards to football? I mean, there's just we're always working on how to value certain players compared to other players and what to look for and what's consistent from year to year. Because look, what's consistent from year to year is really important when you're building a team because you need to go into next year knowing that you're not going to be the same team that you were the year before. And you need to know where you're not going to be the same team. It's not enough to say, oh, things are going to you know, randomly change. It's good to know where they're more likely to randomly change. And so you can know whether you need to concentrate your work on the offense or concentrate your work on the defense or a certain part of your team or coverage or pass rush, right? There's a lot of research going on now trying to figure out which is more important, pass rush or coverage. I think the biggest problem in analytics is that too many people are taking research and turning it into extreme statements. So the idea of uh, pass rush is not as important in the coverage turns into pass rush is not important, right? Yep. And that's not true. Just because A is more important than B doesn't mean B is not important. Another thing that's happened is the idea is sacks are a quarterback stat. Okay, we've gone from sacks are entirely dependent on the offensive line, which was wrong, to now some people saying sacks are entirely dependent on the quarterback, not the offensive line, which is also wrong. It's dependent on both. And just because sacks may be a little more dependent on the quarterback than the offensive line doesn't mean you suddenly have to go to the extreme. There's way too much, especially on analytics Twitter, this need to go to extremes in order to counter the incorrect beliefs of the path. And I always believed that Football Outsiders was the leader when it came to couching our opinions in caveats. And I think that that is wisdom. To understand that there's two sides to arguments, to understand that just because one extreme is wrong doesn't mean that the other extreme is right, to understand that there is some value in some of these old traditional beliefs about the game, that we should move away from the traditional old traditional beliefs somewhat more slowly, like we should do the research and we should move away from them when they're wrong, but just because they're wrong doesn't mean we have to go to the opposite pole. You mentioned that you consider yourself predominantly a writer first before a statistician. How have you gone about improving your writing process along the way? Oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, the best way to improve your writing process is through repetition, really. But I had some good editors the first couple of years that we were at when we published our book through actual publishers rather than self-publishing, back when it was called Pro Football Prospectus and we were associated with Baseball Prospectus, I had good editors who really helped teach me about keeping my writing tight. Now, the need to keep your writing tight, it's not as strong a need on the internet as it is with books, but you do need to keep your writing tight. And I, I've tried to stress that when it comes to my writers and teaching my writers, not as well perhaps as I could have, but... I think uh, that my writing has improved through tightening up. And I think that also I'm very proud of the sort of coaching tree of writers that have come out of Football Outsiders that are all around the web at this point, hopefully writing better than they did before they worked for me. So what's writing tight for you? So what does that mean? I mean, don't use 30 words when 25 words will do. And so you've also said that you don't consider yourself a statistician, but have you gone about learning about all these different methods, statistics, and then implementing it 
in quite an easily digestible way within your actual writing? You know, I've tried to learn about new stats that aren't necessarily mine and being able to use those in my writing. You know, I mean, I do have access to ESPN's database, so I can use things like pass block win rates when I'm writing for them. So, you know, I've tried to go out and assimilate other people's work with my own when I'm writing. But, you know, I mean, I pride myself on being able to explain this stuff to the masses, that that's a lot of where I add value to the analytics that are being done by other people. But how do you go about learning about it in such a way that you are able to explain it to the masses? I just dedicate myself to trying to understand in the same way that I dedicated myself to trying to understand the game on the field, that I threw myself into learning about coverages and learning about how roots worked and whatnot when I first discovered that I was going to do this. When I realized that this was going to be what I did to make a living, I threw myself into learning as much about it as possible. And and I still do. I still throw myself into learning as much about it as possible when it comes to the analytics, even the analytics done by other people. What are the best resources that you found learning about analytics? Honestly, right now, the best stuff is being done on Twitter. It's very strange to me because I think that it's better to put your work in a, a website that's sticky and that's permanent. But there's so much good stuff being done on Twitter that you really have to be on Twitter to read the best analytics stuff that's being done. What's been your what's been like something you've really enjoyed that you've seen on Twitter recently? I mean, there's so much. Uh, the work that was done by, what's his name, Moo, is what he goes by, about the stickiness of offenses versus defenses is very valuable. There's just been a lot. Can you tell us a bit about the sports management worldwide courses that you're a part of? Yeah, sure. We We were doing it twice a year, but it was really hard for me to do during the season. So now I think we're sticking to once a year doing sports analytics, like the football analytics Introduction to Football Analytics course, where basically it's an eight-week overview of the history of football analytics, the different methods that are out there, how they work, what they've taught, the basics of what football analytics has taught over the last few years, what are the different sites, what are the positives and negatives of those sites, what are the different stats that they do, like how different sites can rate different players in different ways and what that means. And then uh, also uh, looking at sports science and how that's used by teams, looking at how teams use analytics in terms of their cap management and drafting, in terms of managing the sports science, in terms of managing player practices and, and injuries. We look at all of that stuff over eight weeks. How have you found teaching the courses? I am not a natural teacher. <laughs> Thank God for Mike Tanier helping me because Mike is much more of a natural teacher. He really worked on putting the um, curriculum together for me. But I do like to get a discussion going. Like I like to teach in a way that gets a lot of push and pull discussion going rather than just lecturing. And how have he found the students? I mean, they usually they're very interested and there's like interesting stuff. They have interesting stuff to bring. How has the analytics space within the NFL changed since you've been involved? So uh, There's imagine... lots of people in it now. Okay. And how has that changed things up? <laughs> well, I mean, it's tough. I have competition. <laughs> Remember, when I started, it was just me. When I did this, started in 2003, like it was just us. So there are now much larger companies that, um, you know, I'm going up against companies with hundreds of people 
So, you know, I'm still trying to do my best to put out good work and to learn new things and to help people understand. Listen, my basic goal is it's never been my goal to revolutionize the game of football. It's my goal to make it more enjoyable for people who have an analytical mindset so that they can enjoy it and feel like they know something about it. I mean, I'm still an entertainer at heart. There's still that disc jockey within me. And when I write, I'm entertaining people. And the the way I'm entertaining them is by teaching them about football and which teams are better than they think and which teams are worse than they think and how to build Super Bowl champions because they want to know they set those things and they find knowing those things to be entertaining. And so I've stuck to that even while I have much larger competition than I did when I started and it was just me. How do you maintain your comparative advantage in the football analytics space? At the risk of sounding obnoxious, I feel like my competitive advantage is quality of writing, and I'll stick with that. Thank you for taking the time out to have a chat to me today. I really enjoyed it, and I reckon listeners will as well. All right. Thanks. I hope that was helpful.